everyone, and welcome back to the Risk and Regulation Rundown podcast for our first episode of the new year. I'm Andrew Strange, your regular host, and in today's episode, we're talking about hybrid working, which clearly remains very topical. I'm joined by Sarah Passmore, a director in our people and organization business, and John Newsom, a director in our asset management regulatory practice. So why are we talking about this topic today? Well, we've been hearing a lot of firms are quite concerned about this, and actually I think this has been compounded by the uncertainty in terms of regulatory expectations. Clearly firms moved at very short notice to working from home, and there were short-term issues around IT resilience, did stuff fundamentally work, could people get their jobs done? But now as we move into a more long-term remote hybrid type working environment, there's lots of other things that firms are really beginning to consider. So from meeting regulatory ob obligations, um, to the impact on a wide range of employee issues from inclusion to leadership and retention. So there are obviously benefits of hybrid working, but I guess there are risks that firms are going to need to manage as well. And I think we should explore, explore some of those today. So on the regulatory side, the FCA published in October 2021 its expectations for firms. They covered a range of issues, so things like mitigating financial crime, cyber security risks. Uh, and my feeling was the FCA kind of put firms on notice at that stage, which I guess is why firms are now so concerned about it. So, John, do you want to start by talking us through what the FCA's primary concerns were and what are the most pressing actions that firms need to take to meet regulatory expectations? Yeah, and I think, I think it kind of goes back to the start of the pandemic. So when you look back then, firms sent all of their staff home at short notice, didn't change any of their controls, didn't change any of their processes, and just had to make it work. And that was fine for a year, and you could make things sort of make do for that period of time. But actually, now you're in a place where firms have willfully said to some people, you can spend time at home, which might be a day, might be the whole of your sort of working life. And some people will be in the office. And there's some really obvious examples where a firm's processes don't actually match up to that. So, you know, we've looked at some of our clients that have a control that says you have to print this document off at the end of the day and sign it as proof of you doing an end of day check. And that clearly doesn't work when you've got someone at home because what are they going to do with that bit of paper? Is it accessible then to other people outside of the organization and, and how do they sort of demonstrate to the firm that they fulfill that control? So the FCA is sort of concerned about all of that stuff. So how are your controls and processes actually working in a hybrid environment where you've got people at home and people in the office? And how have you sort of adapted them? And, and that's where firms really need to be focusing, is thinking, do our controls, do our oversight models work where we don't actually have the ability to see people and see what they're doing? How do we know that our fund managers from an asset management perspective aren't getting access to inside information because they happen to live with someone else that is a fund manager at a different organization? So all of those sort of concerns were things that came up during the pandemic. But the FCA is now saying, you know, you really need to have really good records about where your people are, what they're doing, who they're living with, all of those sorts of controls that mean that you really are able to demonstrate that you've thought through all of those issues. So I think that's where the FCA is really focused. And alongside that, there's then the piece of, if I'm working at home for a day, but more importantly, if I'm working at home for a week or a month, do I need to be in the UK to be doing that? For me, it might be that actually it's better that I'm not in the UK because I've got a home in Spain or I've got family in the US and I want to go there and stay with them and, and, and work from there. And actually, again, during the pandemic, that was sort of okay because regulators and tax authorities were sort of pretty lenient about people not being 
in the UK, whereas before they, they wouldn't have been. But now when you look at it, if you've got a fund manager that's outside the UK, there are loads of regulatory and tax issues that you need to think about. And, and that's the other thing that the FCA is thinking of here is how do you control the location that people are working in to not only fulfill your UK regulatory obligations around substance and demonstrating that you're making decisions in the UK, but also making sure that you're not breaching another country's regulatory requirements. Yeah, I agree. I think that, that pragmatism, pragmatism on a short-term basis kind of worked, but you're right, now it's becoming more permanent. This is We need something that's more robust, I think. I mean, the, the overseas point links to employee preferences uh, and sort of the sense of fairness, which is key to communicating with employees and getting them on, on board with a firm's policy. Sarah, what, what's your view on that? Well, it absolutely raises the tension between regulation and policy and actually what employees want to do and what they want their, their working life to look like. And it's interesting to see how things have progressed as the pandemic has gone on. Um, what we heard from a lot of our financial services clients at the beginning of the pandemic was, this is a short-term thing, we're all going to get back to normal. A lot of them expected to get back to the office five days a week. Now, as things have progressed and, you know, we're, we're nearing spring 2022, we're really starting to realize that actually this is the new normal. Um, even the most stubborn of senior executives who really have wanted, wanted people back in the office are now starting to think about the future of the world of work for their organizations and really starting to listen, listen um, more authentically to how people want to work. I mean, what we really are seeing that's been quite surprising is that employees are using their voice more than ever. Um, it's not. Um, it's probably not unfair to say that in financial services we have cultures that are typically can be command and control cultures more so than we see in other industries, and therefore employees haven't typically used their voices as loudly as they might elsewhere. But you know, we have an example, for example, of one client in insurance where the CEO mandated that uh, he wanted everyone back in the office. This was um, over summertime, 2021, um, and there were 300 negative responses wow. on the internal post to that request where people's names were there and people were really um, open about their preferences in a way that previously we really would never have seen. Yeah, mass dissenting views is not something you'd expect to see, is exactly. it? Exactly. No, interesting. So, so what, there must be some other sort of cultural and employee behaviour impacts of hybrid working in that case, over and above people disagreeing with the chief executive. <laughs> um, so what are we seeing there and what do firms need to think about? So there are lots, and I would say actually a lot of the a lot of the issues are generally quite common. I guess that a good place to start is that a lot of hybrid policies have been based on individual leadership decisions. So what we really are seeing is that leaders at the most senior levels have their own preferences about how they think people work best and where people are most productive. And hybrid policies are generally based upon that, um, and are generally tending towards a norm of expecting to be in the office between two or three days a week. What we're seeing in other industries um, is that hybrid policies are, are iterating over time. And I wouldn't say that I'm seeing that necessarily in financial services yet. Because um, if, you, if you listen to, to employees and hear what they're saying, if you go out and resurvey people now to say, how do you want to work? People are actually saying that they really want to be in the office, say, one to two days a week, rather than what they were saying previously, which was two to three days. And it's raising a couple of issues. I mean, primarily, it's the, the cultural cohesion point is one of the biggest one of the biggest sticking points, I would say. And a lot of organizations are really trying to think through, how do we induct people and retain people? And how do we, how do we maintain culture as a competitive advantage if people aren't around their, around their leaders, around their peers, and really feeling the smell of the place? Also, when you do have new joiners, how do you really induct them into the unwritten rules? 
of that organization. So really how things get done. And um, in the past, that has been through simply watching the behaviors of your of your peers or of your colleagues, and that simply it, it's not uh, it's not something that can be done remotely. What has made that slightly difficult is that a lot of organisations have been through numerous rounds of cost cutting, and spans of control have become tighter and tighter over time, and therefore line managers simply don't have sufficient time in current structures to actually manage in the way that is needed to in the hybrid world. So lots of impacts and very wide ranging. There must be an intergenerational point there around younger people entering the workforce versus older, more established people who, who perhaps are more comfortable working from home or have caring or childcare arrangements as well. So that must add another tension to it, I suppose. It does. Another tension and also a really big danger because so many of our clients have made massive strides within financial services on diversity and inclusion over the last few years. And they've really focused on it. The FCA has been really focused on it as well and will continue to be over the next few years. But what we're, what we're seeing from the data that's coming through is that actually progress is stalling in the remote world. And I think we just need to get really close to the data to understand, okay, how can we, how can we stop that? How can we keep on pushing forward from an inclusion perspective and not lose the ground that we've made over the last few years? I think, um, I think that point about sort of older generations and having childcare responsibilities is actually really interesting. So one of the clients that I've been working with they made everyone work in the office, particularly because, and one of the issues they were really concerned with was the increased error risk that would come from mm -hmm. childcare alongside delivering your day job and, and the, the chances of your child accidentally pressing your keyboard or doing something that meant that you sort of increased a trade accidentally or, or did something that you didn't want to do. So they used that as a reason for making people come into the office rather than working at home. Yeah, I suppose that new puppy probably isn't the best form of trading available. Yeah, okay, mm -hmm. I do see that. What's, um, uh, sorry, no sorry to interrupt, Andrew, but it's what's so interesting on that point is that all of our clients do have the data available to them to be able to actually investigate, to test that assumption or that hypothesis to see if it's right. Um, because you know they've got all of their workforce data, they've got demographics data, they will have productivity data, you know, any kind of cyber data. Some of our clients are now bringing all of these things together so that they can look at the interrelation between these different data points and test out whether, in fact, you know, there is a distraction involved um, with people in certain demographics or not. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. Yeah, it's, it's good because you would think that firms firms do sometimes struggle with the quantity of data they need on certain things. So if people are proactively using that now. That's a good starting point. Uh, and John, Sarah briefly touched on some of the diversity and inclusion type agenda from the FCA. Mm. Uh, do, you, do your views accord with hers that some of these steps that people have made around inclusion and in DNI perhaps are, are, step, are coming back slightly from where they were just because of the other pressures, or and so, is the regulator bothered by that as well? Well, so I think I think the cultural point is really important of how firms continue to embed the culture that they want in a hybrid worker style, as you talked about, Sarah, that if people aren't in the office, it is harder to make them understand the way that you want to work and the things that are not appropriate and you sort of lose some of that control over people. I think the diversity inclusion point, I think, is really interesting. So. I know of firms in the asset management industry that have either set up or are planning around how they can set up non-UK entities to house fund managers that may want to sit outside the UK for a period of time each year or full time. 
And I think you come into a really interesting challenge of if you're going to allow fund managers to do that because of the amount of money they manage and potentially the importance they have to the business, you potentially risk negatively impacting other people in the firm that would also want to do that but don't have the sort of senior clout to enable the firm to say, you know what, we will set up a new entity in Bermuda or we will set up a new entity in Spain for you so that you can work from there over the summer and we're controlling our regulatory risk. So I think that's really important. The other thing I think that, that from a regulatory perspective is really important, but also from a diversity perspective is, is the sort of access to work, making sure that people are still able to have the opportunities that they potentially would have had when they were in the office. But when you have some people in the office and some people at home, it's easy to forget about the people at home or it's easy to get the person in the office to do something rather than the person at home. And I think that can lead to some challenges around sort of fair working allocation as much as anything that can apply across financial services and in any firm, let's face it. Yes, Jeremy, and you're right. You could, you could overwork your people in the office because they're there and equally you could underutilize and not give the access to those exciting opportunities to the people that are home. I suppose it plays really kind of people's strategy overall and that fairness point, which is really important. I mean, you touched there briefly on some of the issues around asset managers, John. I mean, what are the other sort of regulatory issues and concerns that you're seeing um, from firms in that sector in particular? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that we've had quite a few conversations with heads of compliance, chief compliance officers across a number of asset managers. And this was their almost number one priority that they were focused on. And the reason for that was one very small part of the FCA statement, which you know set out a view they've always had, which is that we can visit people when they're working on regulated activities. And if you're doing that at home, then we can come and visit you at home. And the heads of compliance were suddenly getting a lot of fund managers ringing them up, other staff across the business saying, are the FCA going to come and knock on my door suddenly? You know, If I'm sitting there working, is it the Amazon delivery driver or is it the FCA that the supervisor that's suddenly knocking and wanting to visit me and come into my home? And the actual reality of it is that's only going to happen if there's been a, a big issue that the FCA is suddenly focusing on. The likelihood of, of your FCA supervisor suddenly visiting you at home is is pretty small, but it is a risk, and it means that you kind of you have to think about where you want to work and the appropriateness of that. And that was the number one thing that they were focused on was was that piece. And it it kind of means that you, it's really important to maintain a list all the time of where people are working and where they won't be working as well. And, and I think just maintaining that list and having control of that and all of the conflicts that arise from them working at home that I sort of touched on earlier about who they might live with, their ability to sort of segregate themselves so that confidential information stays conf confidential, whether that's data or whether it's phone calls they're having. The ability to continue to record them as well, I think, is another challenge that asset managers are dealing with and, and kind of applies equally across banks as well and brokers that how do you ensure that all of your controls that you would normally have on the trading or dealing floor around not using your personal mobile, only using your recorded device for discussing trades, how do you make sure that people are still doing that? And I think it kind of comes back to that earlier point around culture of you have to make sure that the writing culture is embedded and you will always have the potential for a bad apple that decides to use their personal mobile. But how do you make sure that your controls cover you as much as possible that 
individuals will still use the recorded device for, for trading and dealing. And I think that's the, that's the sort of second point that, that asset managers are really focused on. And I think that's such an interesting point, John, like the links to culture, because so many of our clients, or I would say almost all of our clients have been really focused on risk culture over the last, well, almost decade now, probably. And we've recently been starting to talk about having a controls conscience. Um, and really, if they've if that work has been successful, over the last however many years, then the risk that they're facing now with people working from home should be reduced. Because we, what we really want is all employees to be so aware of what their risk obligations are and what their personal roles are, and also feel motivated to be managing risk as part of their job, that actually their, their own personal day-to-day behaviors are managing risk even more so than the processes that are in place. And just the other thing, sorry, I'd say, is also just around operational resilience. So. The FCA is really focused at the moment on how resilient is your business? How are you continually able to deliver the service to clients that they're expecting? And you know, we've moved on from one of my clients in March 2020, having just bought everyone a new uh, desktop, and then suddenly having to go out and buying everyone Awkward. a new laptop <laughs> because they had to suddenly send everyone home. We've moved on from there, but how do you make sure that all of those systems that people are using are able to cope with people logging in from lots of different locations. And I think that sets up just some new challenges that you need to have thought through in all of your operational resilience planning to make sure that you, you continue to have resilient systems for, for sort of clients to access. Yeah, and it's in thinking about that kind of conduct point and the culture point, Sarah, there, it's interesting you think about the conduct rules that came in as part of the senior manager and certification regime. Actually, there is an accountability for making sure those have been implemented in the firm with senior management. Uh, and you're right, this is a really good litmus test to have they actually worked or not. So, yeah, that's a really interesting point that I hadn't thought of. Uh, and in terms of the banking side, I mean, John sort of alluded to some of the issues that maybe will be affecting people on the banking side. Are there any particular further issues on, uh, that the banks are particularly facing in your world? Well, I would say that a lot of our banking clients are really focused on data and making sure that they can gather the data that they need to make decisions. So we haven't really touched on the importance of a really strong people strategy. But really, what we're seeing is those organizations, those clients who've been most successful in embedding hybrid policies and maintaining productivity are those that have got really strong people strategies already that they can rely on. So. And their employees are feeling like there's an element of consistency in how they're managed and the messaging that they're hearing from leadership. And what they're doing is now gathering data, so using data from real estate, using data from operations, using data from people, and bringing that all together in one place on one platform to be able to make decisions about the future. Because employees are asking those awkward questions. If they're being asked to come back to the office because they're being told they're more productive in the office, they really want to see the data that proves it. And we're finding a lot of our clients are having to have more adult to adult conversations around you know business about around strategic decisions than previously they were open to having before the pandemic yeah, it does feel like it's sort of um, sort of destabilised things a bit. You know, that, that kind of fairness point, whether it's around fair work allocation or whether you should be in the office or why you should be in the office, it just feels like everything's just slightly different from where it was, and actually people are empowered to sort of yeah. really be quite challenging. Absolutely, and you know, people are referring to it as there being a power shift. Yeah, and I, you know, I wonder whether you know those, that wording is quite strong, but there are more open conversations and perhaps a need for more trust and more transparency in general. 
Okay, that's really interesting. Well, I'm conscious of time. I have to say it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you both very much. I mean, I do like to end on a final question. So um, what do we think the future of work looks like? And perhaps what's the biggest risk or the biggest benefit this prevents, uh, presents to firms? Um, John, let's have your views first. Yeah, so if I think about it from an ESG perspective, which we haven't touched on really through this, I think the future of work is a hybrid model which firms will be using as a way of attracting talent in the same way as they sort of do around the ESG strategy as well. So it, it helps firms fulfill the ESG strategy because actually less people traveling into an office, less people traveling internationally for meetings is, is one of the ways that you can sort of reduce your carbon footprint. But you use it as a tool for attracting future talent because I, as everyone that I talk to wants the ability to work hybridly. So I think that's the real benefit that I would expect to see from, from that approach. And, and then the risk is just making sure that all of that sort of keeps pace with how you implement controls and processes and all of that sort of slightly more tedious, but the stuff that really matters from a regulatory perspective that you get it right because that, that's how you demonstrate you're doing what you should be doing. Okay, I'm not sure regulation is tedious, but I'm not, I'm not on the risk of regulation rundown podcast. But, but I get what you're saying. Um, Sarah, what do you I guess from my point of view, the future looks exciting from the world of work perspective because I really do think it'll be shaped by what works best for employees and for employees to, to live what they might class as more fulfilling lives. So employee voices are getting louder, organizations will have to listen to them. And I really do think the world of work is going to integrate more successfully into people's personal lives. Well, thank you. That's a really good way to end. Um, I think the power shift, I think the cultural points, I think some of the regulatory issues, which clearly we're going to see more of, I mean, firms really are on notice to, to make this work, combined with the, the requirements around data and, 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 as you say, yeah, just retention and so on and talent acquisition, all really important stuff for, for our clients to think about. So thank you both very much. To our listeners, I really hope you found this conversation interesting and informative. Um, please do subscribe to future episodes and rate and review the series. And I look forward to speaking to you next month.